morning. Yes, my first introduction to Mr. Audie, as I knew him, was in New Testament survey class, and I absolutely loved it. Oh, he's turning around. No, it was good. Uh, he's a good teacher, and uh, our friendship grew, and I've really enjoyed the relationship I've had with a lot of people here. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I know a lot of you at different levels. Um, Josh kind of said some of the stuff. I've grown up in Maine for my whole life, been here for 22 years. I'm 27, uh, married my high school sweetheart uh, nine years ago this November, and uh, we do have three awesome kids. I think last time I was here, it was in the spring maybe of last year, and uh, Mark and I were talking about adoption, and we were in the process of a three-year adoption, and uh, if you saw our little child of other color, uh, you realized it wasn't ours biologically, and that is our little baby girl, Naya, uh, who we came back this April with from Uganda, and uh, so we're excited and uh, transitioning to three children and the wonders of that, but God's really blessed us. Our boys love her to pieces. Uh, we're still amazed that every morning when she wakes up, they go running up to her and screaming and excited and want to play with her, even though she's walking now and annoying them and knocking their toys over and playing with army men. But it is definitely different to have a little girl. Uh, I realized this the other day when I was wrestling with my boys, as I like to do often, and all of a sudden I felt this thing on my hair, and it was Naya brushing my hair. I had never had that happen before. Um, my boys don't care about their hair and have never combed my hair. So uh, that was rather fun, the wonders of having a daughter. So uh, as Josh shared, I am the youth pastor at East Auburn. Uh, my dad's the lead pastor there. I've been there 22 years, so I'm definitely, our family's going through a transition, uh, leaving a church that we, the only church I've known my whole life, the people I've known, uh, people who've been there uh, my whole, uh, through my whole journey of growing up, uh, meeting Jesus, being baptized, uh, serving in the church, volunteering, going on missions trips, becoming an elder, becoming the youth pastor, and uh, I am in the process of transitioning out. Uh, in January, I will be finished up at East Auburn, and uh, we will launch a church in Auburn, Maine, uh, Redemption Hill, and uh, we're excited about what God's doing, uh, drawing people together. Uh, there's 26-ish adults um, and almost as many kids, because they just have a lot of, we have a lot of kids, it seems like, uh, so everywhere from I think nine months old to 14 years old. So it's just really awesome. Uh, it's chaotic when we gather together. So, uh, so we're excited about what God's doing, uh, anticipating what he's doing, and uh, looking forward to this next season in our life uh, with some fear, but a lot of excitement, a lot of fear on my wife's part, I think, because she's just realizing how crazy I am to try to do this. So, uh, and in the same time, my dad has a church. So we'll see how it goes. But God's uh, been blessing us, and it's been good. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians today, uh, chapter 8, and um, I probably won't make it through all 15 verses, but we're really going to get through at least the first nine, and if we can make it, we'll, we'll go a little longer. Um, one of the other roles I have, things I'm really grateful for, is I get to uh, be part of a great group of guys uh, called the Gospel Alliance, and um, few years back, I uh, started doing these conferences, and God really just kind of opened a door for uh, New England uh, to, or for our church to be able to invite some guys who are pretty well known around the world, around the country, um, and uh, some of you guys I know have been to the conferences, the lead conference. I've, I'm assuming Josh has been mentioning it, so I'm going to give it a little, another little plug, but a couple years back we started this, and I'm sitting there, uh, 24 years old, youth pastor, had no clue what I was doing, and 
uh, started talking to Mark and Josh. Actually, Josh was the first speaker at the lead conference up in Jackman, Maine, um, four years ago, I guess. It would have been four years ago. And uh, I remember the conversation. We were on a set of stairs, and it was just for my student leaders at the time. And he came and taught them about Jesus, and it was awesome. And uh, he said, this is good. We should do it again. And I said, well, okay, who do we have? He said, this guy named Tim Chester. I'd never even heard of this guy. I figured he was just some guy from, like, Maine or New England or something like that. I didn't realize he was from England. And, like, we'd have to fly him over here. And I emailed him, not knowing. And he said, sure, I'll come over. So um, through that conference and through me being ignorant and having no clue what I was doing, uh, God's blessed us to host this for three years this fall. Uh, we've just been, we're really excited. Uh, Matt Chandler, Ray Ortland, Jared Wilson, Stephen Um, uh, Mark Geddix, a bunch of guys will be speaking. Angel Silva, pastors from Boston area, will be coming uh, to Auburn to uh, talk about Jesus. And one of the outgrowths of this has been something that we've called the Gospel Alliance. And uh, the Gospel Alliance is kind of a, a, I don't know, it's a grassroots movement with no money. And uh, just me and uh, Josh and Mark and Barry Murray and Matt Grice, and we get together and we say, what is God doing in New England? How can we help? Uh, what can God use us for? And so I want to just say a public thanks to Wyndham, whether you even know you're part of this or whether you understand the impact of what you guys have done for helping to uh, help me and help the Gospel Alliance really be able to do these things. We'll talk a little bit more about what God's been doing in New England. Um, so just thank you guys for that. Thank you for your generosity and whether it just be, I know there's been years where it's just been, uh, I know Mark's put a call out and people have made food so we could have food at these different things, um, had volunteers, had worship teams, different things. So it's been a blessing to have that and build that relationship. Um, the other part with Gospel Alliance I've been blessed to have is I've been able to meet a lot of guys in New England, um, been able to meet a lot of pastors uh, all the way from St. John, New Brunswick, where we did a conference up there this spring where Mark spoke and a couple other guys, all the way to Haverhill, Mass., where we did a, another youth conference this spring. And uh, one of the things I want to talk about is um, what God is doing in New England, because I've been privileged to see different ministries, different churches, and know that what God's doing here at Wyndham isn't isolated, that God is moving in his church in New England, and it's exciting to see. So, uh, so my goal today is to look at that through the lens of 2 Corinthians, to look at what you guys have been a part of, to thank you, but also to encourage you to continue on, to continue on to love New England, to love Maine, to love Wyndham, to, to love beyond just the four walls of your house, but to love the church that Jesus uh, had died for. So let's pray, and we will get into 2 Corinthians. Jesus, we thank you. I thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your word. We thank you that there's truth and power. And Jesus, we thank you that you, the church in New England doesn't rise or fall on us, but it rises and falls on you. And that you have seen fit to use us in whatever role it is to build your church, to redeem people, to bring the lost unto you, Jesus. And we're grateful that grace that we have experienced and we have known through you, Jesus, the hope that we can have and the satisfaction and joy, Lord, has, is being taken to people all around New England and we're grateful for that. Speak through us, through your word. Remove distractions, tiredness. Remove any frustrations, Lord, that maybe Satan put in our minds. The cares of the weak that have 
just passed or the week that we're going into, Lord, may they be removed for this next time as we look at your word and come to know you better, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I'm not going to read through the whole passage. We already did that. We're going to jump right into it. Um, So what I want to do today is to look at the church in um, kind of a uh, look at the church of in 2 Corinthians, look at what Paul's talking about here, and then exhort you guys um, and us as a church. This isn't just me coming um, to preach at you. This is me to preach to my own heart and to us as a church in New England to encourage us to continue on because God is doing something that's bigger than what we can see, I think. God is moving in a way that uh, he is building his church and we are privileged and blessed to be in a season where I, I really truly believe we will see God do great things in New England over the next few years. So that's my encouragement. This isn't going to be a big emotional hype for you to get excited about what God is doing, but just to realize what God is doing, and hopefully that understanding will excite you enough. So, uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul writing the letter to the church of Corinth. Um, We know from 1 Corinthians the church is messed up. There's tons of issues going on. Um, And we can know from the end of 2 Corinthians 8, kind of 10 through 15, that there was some type of commitment the church had made to give. There was some type of agreement they had. We're not really going to get into that. I just want to use that as a backdrop. See you later, Jeffrey. It's been good to hang out with you this morning. Um, I took classes with Jeffrey, and it was fun. And I like to ream on him. So um, I have ADD, and I'll get back to this now. Sorry. Um, so there's this, uh, this collection that was being taken, and for some reason, the church in Corinth kind of left it. They kind of forgot about it. They didn't really do what they said. Their heart was excited about what God was doing. It was encouraged by what God was doing. Yet they got to a point where the stresses of the world, the sin within them, they kind of just got too overwhelmed and they didn't continue steadfast in what God wanted them to do. And so Paul writes to them and he writes in the first Uh, seven verses, just uh, commending them and encouraging them. And then in chapter 7, we're not going to go right through it, but he really encourages them where they are. He says, you guys are growing. You're getting getting back to where you were. And then we get to chapter 8, and he goes back to exhort them and to remind them of their first love, the commitment they had, the thing that they were passionate about, the thing that they were excited about. He goes to exhort them in that and said, don't forget the love you had. And I'm going to remind you by showing you this church in Macedonia, and I want you to see what they had, what they did. So that's just a little bit of context for where we're at. Verse 1, chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, the church in Macedonia uh, would have been uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. They came to know Jesus through Paul's ministry in Acts 16 and 17. He went into these areas and he taught Jesus. There was repentance. They came to know Jesus. There were churches planted. Churches were grown. And these churches in Macedonia really had a heart. They were radically changed by the gospel. I don't know if you've ever met someone who's radically changed by the gospel. I've grown up in church my whole life, so sometimes I kind of just get blah. The gospel's just kind of boring. It's not something that excites me. I see people, though, every now and then, they come out of something crazy. They usually have 
Uh, I'm the good church kid that has the really boring testimony. I don't know if anyone can agree with that or has that boring te- In our minds, it's boring. Jesus saving a sinner from his own ways is never boring. But we look at the guy with the amazing testimony who was on drugs and all this stuff, and we think, wow, look what he has to live for. And that's what we see in this church is they were, whether they were on drugs, I don't even know, but whatever it was that their sins were, they realized they were redeemed sinners and that Jesus loved them. And this grace, it says, he wanted them to know, he wants the church in Corinth to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the church of Macedonia met Jesus, they were changed by Jesus, they were, uh, they were totally, radically looked different because of who Jesus was in their life. And that changed them, not just to sit there and have this Christianity that went to church on Sundays and went back to their house and lived their life, but it made them grace dispensers. They were loving people, caring for people, encouraging people, giving of themselves, as we'll see in a minute. And it was all because of what Jesus had done in their midst. And if we had four hours, we could go through Acts 16 and 17. And we could look at what Paul taught them and we could see their hearts. We could read the book of Philippians who was to the church in Macedonia. We could see the joy they had. We could read the book 1 and 2 Thessalonians and see the things they were wrestling with. But know this, that they were changed by the gospel. That Jesus went, went in, when Paul proclaimed them, he was radic- they were radically changed as a church and they looked different. Their life looked different. People looked at them and they realized these people are giving of grace. They're extending grace to people. Verse 2. It says, For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now we don't usually think to see these words together. Through their extreme poverty, they didn't have much. On the outside, you look at this church and you say they don't really have anything. They don't have a ton of money. They don't have um, all the things that we would think of a, a, a church that would be giving generously. But through all of these things, through the afflictions, you, we can assume probably that when these people came to know Jesus that there was oppression and there was persecution and there was hardship in their life. Through all of this, this trial didn't put them in a place where they sat there and said, well, God's not here. God's not working. It caused in their hearts to rely more on Jesus and to give more. To be able to give more grace, to be able to pour out more, to love people more. The church in Macedonia, although they seemed poor to the outside eye, uh, had this deep passion for Jesus, that it didn't matter, their worth wasn't found in what they owned, what they had, who they were. It was found in that they were children of God. And it, it became, or it overflowed to this, um, this extreme, or this overflowed of generosity on their part, where they were willing to live in such a way that it wasn't about what they had. They were willing to give, and we'll see as we continue down through how this looked. Verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will. So they didn't just give the things that they were required to do. Now, when we think of, and I've, I've, as I've said, I've grown up in church, um, and I can just guess that some of us, we hear this verse And we hear, okay, so Josh and Mark told Josh to come in here and preach on giving. I got it. I'm tracking what they're doing because they can't preach on giving because they're the pastors here and that's just weird. But they asked this guy to come in. They didn't ask me to preach on this. But this is, that's the reaction of someone who sits there and hasn't been really radically changed by the gospel. 
That's the reaction of someone who's sitting there. They just want to do just enough to make sure that on the outside they look good. So that's the reaction of someone who will go to church on Sunday because that's all the time they need to give. They'll maybe attend a small group. They'll maybe serve in children's ministry whenever they have to. But their heart is not excited. But what we see in the heart of Macedonia is their heart was excited to serve. So they didn't just serve according to their means. But Paul says, I can testify, they went beyond their means. They gave what it didn't seem like they had to give. Their hearts were so changed by Jesus that they were willing to do whatever it was to bless Paul, to minister to the other churches, to serve to their communities, their areas. It wasn't how much do we have to give to check off the religious, moralistic checkbox of giving, whether it be time, money, energy, efforts. It was what's the need, how can we take care of it, what do our neighbors need, what does our family need, how can we be a blessing to them? And it's rooted that they were changed by Jesus and that change really radically changed them. Um, Verse (laughs) 4. Another odd verse here. So it says, verse 3, I can testify that they gave beyond their means of their own free will. It wasn't through compulsion. It wasn't through force. Paul didn't go in there and say, okay, now you're a Christian. You have to give this much. They just gave because they wanted to give. And then verse 4, it says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I, I, have nev- I haven't met many people. I've met some people. I haven't met many people with this heart that were begging to say, what can I do to bless people more? What can I do to give more? And I'm not just, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm planting a church and need money because I don't, I don't want God will provide. I'm not even coming to talk about my church plant that much today. I'm just coming to say this is, this is the heart that I'm starting to see in people's churches all across New England. There are churches that are sitting there going, it's not about just us anymore. It's about connecting with other churches. They're begging to be able to be part of what God's doing. They're willing to give of themselves their resources, their people, their energy, their efforts, their finances, their building, whatever it is they have. They're sitting there saying it's not just about building up our church. It's about building God's church in New England. And so these walls are being broken down, and this is what's happening in Macedonia. And my, encur- my encouragement is that this is what's happening in New England, that this is what God's doing here. And I've been able to, over the last couple of years, working with the Gospel Alliance, being able to do conferences, see pastors come in. I met uh, yesterday morning with a pastor up in Augusta. He's a church planner in Belfast. He has 17 adults, 17 kids at his church. And uh, he's working full-time, and he's starting this church. They're meeting in a, in a Unitarian church on, in the evening, and he says they're just growing. And he said he's, he's, uh, has a buddy living with him, an alcoholic, uh, kind of crazy drug guy, who he just said, come live with me. And the people in their church are being changed. It's not a mega church. You're never going to see a podcast by this guy. He's never going to write a book. But his heart is being changed by the gospel, so he's willing to do whatever it is in little Belfast, Maine, to reach the people with Jesus. And so when the 17 of them gather and they eat a meal on Sunday night before, they, before he preaches for, he said, like an hour and 15 minutes, kids and everything hang out and crash around. I don't even know how he does it. That's awesome. But he is wrecked by who Jesus is. And it's led him to say, I'll do whatever it is. Now that's just one story of the many people in the last couple years that I've had the privilege to meet, that I've met through New England Bible College, that different people have met. 
that they're being wrecked by the gospel so that they're begging, as the church in Macedonia was, begging to do what is it we can do? How can we bless people? How can we give of ourselves? What has God given to us? Maybe, you, maybe it's, um, they're just gifted in music or arts or whatever, and they're saying, how can we bless? I have one kid. He has built all my websites for me, and he doesn't charge me anything. And the kid's good, really good. He does really good artwork. He loves Jesus, and he, he loves to serve Jesus through the gift of writing code. And I don't get it. I, I can't do that. That's his gift, but he has a heart that loves to serve Jesus. And it's actually annoying sometimes because he wants it to look so good that it'll be good. I'm like, yeah, that looks great. He's like, no, it's, it's annoying me. It's not perfect. But he just loves it. So this is what God is doing all across New England. And this is what God is doing, or what God was doing in Macedonia 2,000 years ago. These, this church was begging earnestly, how can we bless the church? How can we be part of what God is doing? Verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, this is a confession of my own heart and um, I think it, it fits the church. We are really quick to say, how can we take care of that? And we'd like to write a check and take care of it. We like to do our part by just not by just giving the money and saying this is going to be a lot easier. For many of us, it's really hard to sit there and say, I'm going to give you my whole Saturday to do whatever it is you need. That for us costs us a lot more than writing a check for $20 to someone and helping them. Or, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard of David Platt. He wrote a book called Radical. And in chapter 7, he tells a story about a church. Um, he's a big church pastor and he talks about... Um, living a radical faith for Jesus. And he talks about a church he went into and he met with the pastors and he was meeting with all the elders and he was sharing about how he goes to India and he serves the church over there. And the pastor said, and I I didn't write this quote down, um, it's not in my notes, but he said in paraphrase, we're glad you go and we'll give you all the money you need to go because I don't ever want to go there. I don't ever want my kids to go there. That's why we give to you. And so that was the model of his church. And the next morning, David got up to preach, and he was going to preach on this whole idea of going to the world, loving the world, loving the, the, uh, the millions of sex slaves and the millions of aborted children, the millions of orphans, loving those children that die every day, loving them. And that's what he's getting up to preach about. And the pastor gets up and has a huge rant about how amazing America is, how it's the only world country he'd ever live in. He would never leave America. He loves America. David got up to preach. He preached the whole message. The pastor got up and he said, that's awesome, David, that you go and our church will support you so we never have to go there. Now, it's easy for some people to have that heart. And what he's saying here about the church of Macedonia is they didn't just give of their money. They didn't just give of their resources. They gave of themselves. It's really hard for me to give of myself to someone because I like my my time, I like my, my calendar to be the way I want it. I want to do the things I want to do. If I have a free day, I want to do what I want to do. So it's a lot easier for me to find someone else to go help that person move. It's a lot harder for me to say, I'll give you my whole day and I'm going to go help you move. Or whatever it is. But when you're wrecked by Jesus, you sit there and say, it's not about writing a check. It's not about just donating some clothes to this thing. Now, those things are good and they need to be done. But it's about serving in such a way that we'll do whatever it takes Going above and beyond, giving of ourselves. Um, in Second Thessalonians uh, two eight, I'll just read it to you guys. There's this verse that's challenged the core out of me. 
if I can find it's First Thessalonians. It says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. That challenges me because sometimes I'm really easy to just share the gospel with someone. I don't mind telling them about Jesus, but I don't really want to spend my life with that person. I don't know if you um, are involved in a missional community, if you're not, get involved. Um, Being in a missional community is really tough because it's not just about attending something. It's about being with people, being transparent with people, having people know you. But it's to this point where you're wrecked by Jesus and you realize what Jesus has done for you that it changes you and challenges you to see other people in a different way. And that what was, is what was going on in Macedonia is they were, they were so challenged and changed by who Jesus was that they put away their preferences, they put away everything that they thought was comfortable, easy, and they said, we're going to do whatever it takes. We're not just going to write a check. Now, I know they didn't have checks back then. We're not just going to do whatever, you know, whatever it was to give our tithes and offering. We're going to go above and beyond. Whatever God asks of us, we're going to do. So maybe that just means we're going to go to work 9 to 5 under the glory of God, and we're going to live in such a way at work that we look totally different. And people understand that, and when hardships come, they know they can go to us. Maybe it means we're not going to work overtime, and we're not going to provide the great things we think our family has to have because we're going to say, I need to serve my community. I need to know my neighbors. And if I'm working 90 hours a week, I can't do that. I don't know what it is in your life. But in their life, they went above and beyond. They did what was expected, but then they went beyond that. And it wasn't of compulsion. It wasn't because uh, Paul was demanding them to. It was because they were changed by Jesus. Because their hearts were changed by Jesus. Verse 5, look at the end of it. Um, And this, not as we are expecting, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Have you, um, some of us will uh, think through something like this and we'll say, okay, that's what I need to do. I need to just make sure I do whatever it is people want me to do. Because that's what he was saying. He was saying, just do what needs to be done. Take care of the people. But the thing that's interesting here is, look who they gave themselves to first. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. There was a commitment to Jesus. The great commandment in Matthew 22 where it says love Jesus and love people. Man, if we just lived by that rule, love Jesus supremely. So that means in every decision, in everything we do, we think, man, I've got to love Jesus through this, the way I'm going to act. And because we love Jesus, we love people. So our hearts are broken for the neighbors, for the co-workers, for the people around us, the family who doesn't know Jesus. So we love Jesus supremely. They gave themselves to Jesus. Some of you, I don't know where your hearts are, but you need to give yourself to Jesus. You've been doing the church thing for a long time, but you haven't been with Jesus. You haven't given yourself to Jesus. You may be even give, you may be served, but your heart is not given to Jesus. You're just doing what the church expects you to do. I... I say this all the time. I can teach you in about 10 minutes how to look the part of being a good Christian. But it doesn't mean you love Jesus. It just means you want to put on the mask of Christianity and make it look like you're living the life. So ask yourself that question. Have you given yourself to Jesus? 
For some of you, it may mean salvation. You might need to talk to Josh afterwards and say, man, I don't have that. I don't talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. Um, I don't have that. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know Jesus that way. I hear them talk about this. We sing songs to this Jesus person, but I haven't experienced what it's like to be free from my sins, to know that Jesus has taken that that I could never pay for. And for some of you, you believed that a long time ago, but you need to remember that you need to believe it now. That Jesus, the gospel, is more than just the starting point of your Christian life. It's the totality of your Christian life. It's always going back to Jesus. And for some of you, it's been so long since you've given yourself to Jesus, since you've loved Jesus, that you need to start there. You need to start to rekindle that relationship with Jesus. The church of Macedonia gave themselves to Jesus. They loved Jesus supremely. And then, because of that, they loved people. So some of you are trying to love people. Because you're sitting there going, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, one of your family missionary servants, you say, well, I've got to be a servant to people. But the reason you can't stand people is because you don't really love Jesus. So you sit there and go, well, why do people always annoy me? It's because you don't really, really, really love Jesus. You haven't been challenged and changed by Jesus. Now, I'll be honest with you. People are annoying. Ministry would be easy if there wasn't people. Uh, just things would be a lot easier if there weren't other people. But that's not the world we've been put in. We've been put in a world, we've been created in a way that we are to love people. But we're not going to love people if we don't love Jesus. And so the church of Macedonia, they gave themselves to Jesus first. They loved Jesus. They served Jesus. And because of that, their hearts were changed for people. So if you sit there and you have someone who really drives you crazy at your missional community, if you have someone who really drives you crazy at work, just pray that you would love Jesus more that you would understand grace more, that you would understand what he did for you, and then that overflows, and you can love them. Sometimes we get it backwards. We think, well, I'll serve the people, and then Jesus will be happy with me because I'm serving. We need to love Jesus, serve Jesus, and then he's going to cause in our hearts. He's going to, there's, this isn't a, a kudos to me, but God has been breaking my heart for Lewis and Auburn. To the point that I have in the past six months, and I've grown up there my whole life. But, and sometimes we can live in a community for so long that we kind of forget that there's people who don't know Jesus there. So if you've grown up in Raymond or Wyndham or Portland or wherever you live, if you've lived there your whole life, you may be totally callous to the broken people around you because you just sit there and they're just the normal people that stand in line at the grocery store. They're the people that pump gas. They're the people that take 32 items to the 10 item line they annoy you but what God has been doing in my heart and it's this isn't a kudos to me is he's been breaking me for those people so I can remember one instance and this wasn't me because I'm not this type of guy crying in Starbucks of Auburn because I'm listening to conversations with Bates College students and they're talking about stuff and I'm realizing that everything they know their value worth is wrapped up in their smarts and their education and we failed them as a church. And I'm not saying Wyndham has, because you don't live with the Bates College students. I do. When we first moved into our house, every night they were having parties next door to us. We found beer bottles all over our, our lawn, and I just got angry and upset. And God's been rebuking me of that and breaking my heart. And it's because I love Jesus more, because I'm pursuing Jesus. I'm not sitting there going, I need to love Bates College students more. But he's opening my heart. So pray that God would do that for you. If you have lived in the same area your whole life, you may be totally callous to the people there. You might not even care for them anymore. 
pray that God would cause in your heart a deep concern and passion for them. Um, verse, verse 6. So they gave themselves to the Lord. They, if you think about where we've been so far in this verse, this looks like New England. We don't have much. The economy is not great. From the outside looking in, we have all the reasons to just, to just kind of buckle down and just take care of ourselves. Let's make sure we can survive. Let's weather the storm. The economy's not great. Uh, the political system's not great. This isn't a political rant. I'm just saying that at, when you hear the, the newspapers in the world, they're saying life is horrible. And so this is a time we have all the, all the things to sit there and say, we're just going to buckle down. We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to make sure our family can have a good home. We can make it. We can maybe put our kids through college. It sounds like us. We have affliction. We have um, poverty for some of us. The, jo- the unemployment rate is really high. Some of you maybe have lost your job. Some of you have been through that. But in this instance, they were so overwhelmed by Jesus. They're saying, yeah, this stuff's happening. But we don't even care. We understand that our value is not found in the here and now. It's found in that Jesus has died for us. It's found in the gospel that should bring us joy and excitement. And it changed the way they were. And yeah, they maybe never had the great things that the Macedon- other Macedonian people had. But they had Jesus. And Paul's reminding the church of Corinth this. And he's exhorting them. He's saying, don't forget the love you had when you first met Jesus. And for some of us, uh, that campfire experience maybe, where we met Jesus, we were excited about who Jesus was, was so long ago that we don't even remember it. And so my encouragement to you today is, don't forget that. Don't forget what Jesus has done. But don't forget what Jesus is doing. So hopefully it can be an encouragement Not to say, um, do more, but to say, look what Jesus is doing and be part of what Jesus is doing. To get on board with what Jesus is doing in New England because he's doing amazing things here. He's working in his church. And that's what Paul seems to be doing here in Corinthians. He says, the the church in Macedonia had everything stacked against them, yet they were abundant. They begged us to give. They gave of themselves. And he says, be like that. But then he goes on here, verse 6, he says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So he, he says, we encourage Titus to go to you and to, to just check in, say, hey, how are you doing? And so maybe that's me today, just saying, how are you doing, Wyndham Baptist? Are you ravished by who Jesus is in your life that it manifests itself in great generous giving? And I'm not just saying this to raise support. I'm not saying this to make sure that Wyndham meets budget. I don't even know where your budget is. I have no clue. I'm saying this because your neighbors are going to hell. I'm saying this because in New England, statistically, 95% of the people you will interact with do not go to church. The least churched region in the whole nation. But I'm also saying this to say God is doing something here. And if you live this way, that the gospel overtakes you, you're part of what God's doing because he's working in people's hearts. He's working in people's hearts so that they look at their neighbor and they're broken for the annoying neighbor who decides to mow the lawn at 6.30 in the morning. Or build his garage at 9 o'clock at night. Or whatever it is. Those are just Facebook updates that I've heard in the last week. So (laughs) That was my brother-in-law building his garage at 9.30 at night. Um, But, You're broken for them. You're not annoyed by them anymore. 
And that's only a work of grace in your life. That's only Jesus working in your life. You're not annoyed by the kid running around in missional community who knocks over the coffee all the time on your carpet or your couch. It's an act of grace, God working in your life to sit there and go, I love that kid. That was me. We forget that was us. We weren't perfect when we were kids. That was us. And so this is what Paul's doing. He says, verse 7, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you, excel, that you excel in this act of grace also. So excel in the act of grace of just being gracious people, being infected. I think of the idea, I wrote the word infected down. I started thinking, it's kind of gross, like infected. But when you think about my, my youngest son, Tanner, if you know Tanner, he is a devil child. He is everywhere. He's into everything. Um, he was at the, the Freiburg Fair and got hit in the head by an ox horn. How many kids have that happen to him? My kid does. That's just him. When he gets sick, it KOs him. When he's infected, he had a, a something. He had a high fever for like a week. He didn't get off the couch for a week. That wasn't Tanner. It totally changed who he was. That's how the gospel should be. Totally infecting you. Not making you sick and lay on the couch, but maybe getting your butt off the couch to go do something, to serve, to love. It should infect every part of who you are. So when people saw you in one way, and that's the tough thing about us who've grown up in the church, is we've kind of always been this way. We've always had this Jesus piece, so we don't really know what it should look like. But it should infect us so much when we get the gospel that we should, we should excel in the act of grace, that we should be people that love people because we love Jesus. And we should be caring for people, and we should be going beyond our means to reach people. But it's interesting what Paul does here, because Paul could say, I'm an apostle, listen to me. He could say, you better do these things because it's what Jesus demands of you. And, and, he's, and look at Macedonia. Don't you want to be like the Macedonian church? Look how much better they are than you. That's not what he does. He says, verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine for you. He roots it. He roots our generous act in what Jesus has done. So you can't sit there and say, you don't compare yourself to someone else anymore. You compare yourself to Jesus. And you flow out of what Jesus has done for you. Because it's really easy for you to find someone who doesn't give as much as you, who doesn't serve as much as you, who doesn't love as much as you, who's more of a jerk than you here on earth. It's really easy to do that. But it's really hard when you start to look at what Jesus has done for us to not be changed, to not be infected by the gospel. And that's what Paul says here. He says, for you know, and I'm not even going to talk, I'm just going to read this passage and just let Paul's words maybe sink in. I'm not going to expound it i'm just going to say for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor read philippians chapter 2 if you want to understand what this means and he became poor not because it was fun not because it was great but he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich that's why the church of Macedonia was wrecked. That's why the church wanted to give everything because they understood what Jesus had done. For some of us, we need to understand 
what Jesus has done in our midst because he's doing stuff. For some of you today, you look at, you hear a passage like this and there's kind of two views. One is um, those who just do the religious deed of being a Christian. And when you hear something like this, you have one of two reactions. One is you say, yeah, I don't really like talks about giving. I don't like talks about serving, so I'm not going to listen to that stuff. And we can't just tune it out. And maybe we don't do it purposely. You don't actually sit there and say, yeah, that was okay. I've just, I'm not going to think anything of it. But we just do it subconsciously. We don't want to hear, oh, another message about giving. For some of us, we're religious, we're moral, so we say, okay, how much do I have to do then to fulfill everything you just said? So give me the number amount and I'll do that. Give me how much time a week do I have to make sure I'm doing to serve? Because we just want to make sure we're doing the right thing. But for those of us who understand verse 9, who understand that he became poor so that we might become rich, their question is not um, how much do I need to do to give as if there's some prescription or some number figure that says this is how much you have to give. No, their reaction is how can I bless? How can I give more? What can I do? How can I serve? Their heart is changed because they understand what Jesus did was Jesus did way more than what was deserved. He did way more than what was earned. He did way more than what was needed. And he redeemed us because of that. So my hope today is not to convince you to give more money to Wyndham. It's not to sponsor my church plan. It's not to make sure that you give more money to Dwight and Jess, who I love serving up in Montreal. And reaching the people there for Jesus. Um, My challenge is that you would be so enamored by Jesus that it wouldn't be about what you are doing. It'd just be that you're doing whatever you can do. That your heart would be changed. That um, it wouldn't just be money that you're giving. Or it wouldn't just be those things. But it would be yourself. Because that's the toughest thing to give. Is you. We're okay with writing a check to Jesus once a week. But we're really bad at giving ourselves to Jesus every day of the week. And so my challenge, my, ex- my exhortation, and my encouragement is to give yourself to your church. Give yourself to your missional community. Give yourself to your neighbor. Because Jesus said in John that it would be better that he leaves the earth. The one who could just walk on water, the one who could heal, the one that could raise people from dead, the one who could just speak and cancer would be fixed, the one who could heal the broken heart. He says it's better that I leave the earth and send the Holy Spirit in my church to reach people. So it may not make sense to us, church, but it's how Jesus wants to work. And so my encouragement is that you would be so enamored by Jesus, so in love with Jesus, so encouraged by Jesus, that that would overflow your heart and you would do whatever it is that he puts in front of you. Whatever it is that he puts in front of you. See, here's the thing. God is moving in our midst. You might not see it. God's doing these things. Um, For some of us, I said it was a long time ago We remember God doing something. And it seems like God's done nothing. Grace has become dry to us. The gospel is boring. Well, we know in Hebrews it says Jesus never changes. So it's not that he's changed in some way. It's that we've changed. That we, as it says in Revelation, we've left our first love. We have our ticket to heaven, but we don't really, we haven't given ourselves to Jesus. And so my goal is that that we would be part of what God is doing. There is a renewal of the gospel happening in New England. There is a renewal of New England Bible College training and equipping pastors to go do ministry in small churches. I have one kid um, who's in Josh's class, uh, New Testament survey. 
He wants to plant a church in Monmouth, Maine. There's like nobody in Monmouth, Maine. Not many people at least. But his heart is broken for Monmouth, Maine because it's where he's grown up. I think there's like 3,000 people in Monmouth, Maine. There's no churches. There's, there's no churches preaching Jesus. There's a couple of universities. Latter-day Saint churches. He's broken. But that's what God's doing. God's breaking people for not the cool, not the awesome, living in the big city, reaching people, for the little areas where people are dying and going to hell. That's what Jesus is doing all over. The guy I met with yesterday, Belfast. Tomorrow morning at noon, myself and Angel Silver are going to meet with a, a group from Southeastern Seminary who had a heart for New England, and they're coming up. They're up here all weekend filming a documentary on the need for church planters in New England to give to all the students who graduate Southeastern Seminary. God's doing something in New England. That doesn't just happen by chance that a film crew says, hey, we're going to spend our own money. We're going to go up there. We're going to produce a video to show the need of what God needs in New England so we can encourage guys who love Jesus to come to New England, get a job, work full-time, start a church, and reach people for Jesus. So Jesus is doing something, but he's doing something that's bigger than Wyndham Baptist, bigger than, than my church plant, Redemption Hill, bigger than First Baptist. It's bigger than a denomination. It's crossing all those bounds. He's raising up a generation that's acting like the Macedonians were. They're changed by the gospel. And so my encouragement is that you would be those people. Um, he's moving in his church in New England, and I don't know if there'll be a revival in New England. I have no clue. I'm not God. But I will tell you is that every time there's a revival, every time there's a renewal in the church, it comes about when there's an understanding of grace. When there's a new and deep understanding of grace and the people of the church who have been sitting there are changed by the gospel. It doesn't come when a great evangelistic preacher comes into an area and preaches. It comes when the people that sit every week, faithfully give, faithfully serve, are radically changed by the gospel, and they go to their workplace, they go to their missional community, they go to their wherever it is, their sporting events, and they're changed by the gospel. And I'll tell you, um, only because I've been blessed by Jesus to be able to meet some of these people, this is what's happening in New England. Whether it be um, my buddy Jared Wilson over in Vermont, to a really good friend of mine down in Haverhill, Mass., Brian Page, who's at an Alliance church. And it's not just happening in Baptist churches. It's happening in Assemblies of God churches. It's happening in churches all over New England where there's this renewed passion for the gospel and lost people because their hearts are changed because um, Christ, though he was rich, for our sake he became poor, that we might become rich. Their hearts are changed by that. I'm going to pray. Josh is going to say a prayer. He's going to come up. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. I thank you for Wyndham. I thank you for your heart for the people here, that you have placed this church here to reach this area. And God, I don't know what you have in store for New England, Lord, but when we look out, we're excited about the renewal that's happening. And so, Jesus, I pray that today you would you would just enlighten our hearts, encourage us, make us excited, Holy Spirit, about how you are moving. We're Baptists and we don't talk about the Spirit enough, but may we be infused with the Spirit. May we 
just be bathed in what He's doing in our midst and may we be changed and moved, Holy Spirit, to, to have broken hearts for our neighbors, to have broken hearts for the churches that we pass every Sunday that are dead and don't have the gospel. May some of us be called to go preach there. May some of us be called to go into vocation so we can support missionaries. May some of us be called to just go to work 9 to 5 every day, loving Jesus more than work, finding our value not in our work, but in Jesus and loving our work because of it and proclaiming who you are. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing that in our generation, Lord, may you renew your name here in New England. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.